they are able to pace themselves so they are able to like you know maybe some students can only work on the course at 10 pm in the night so that's the only time availability they have so what works for them they can set that time aside and participate in the in the course so i think it has so many benefits i mean of course there are challenges but then i think well designed online courses i think the challenges are definitely minimal when compared to the benefits and i think we have to see that and hopefully you know we can eliminate the myth that online courses are of lesser quality The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us and now the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder and I'm here with my co-host Brad Garner. Hi Brad. Hi Tiffany. Glad to be here. We've had a fun summer break, but we're also ready to be back in gear with the Digital to Learn podcast and we have who we already know is going to be one of our favorite guests, Dr. Florence Martin joining us to kick off the fall 2023. Welcome Dr. Martin. Thank you. Glad to be here. If you didn't have a chance to catch last week's episode, you'll want to do that. This is actually part 2 of a two-part series, so go back and listen into part 1. But for now, we're going to dive right back into our conversation on the Digital to Learn podcast. What do you see as the struggle of those five design elements which are hand in hand with facilitation? Is there one that you think we get hung up on more than the others or one that if you were to be able to continue research or training in one area which one would you choose um i think engagement or interaction and communication is challenging because it's different right content presentation you could record videos put it up students can access it depending upon the size of the class if you have 200 online students then the strategies you might want to use uh, to engage your learners might be different than if you have 20 online students so i think that definitely requires a lot of thinking and how do you build groups and what kind of activities can they do and you know doing like collaborative work even in a face to face class is challenging so when they have to do it online there's always challenges one student will be willing to carry the load the other one may not and you know all such complications arise so i think that is challenging but also another one that i want to point out i know you only asked for one but a second one assessment is going to get yeah. challenging even more especially with generative ai so now you have to really think through how you want to assess your learners i am always a big fan of project based learning you know where they really build something right i think in the educational technology world we tend to do that but it's equally important for them to learn to write papers too but then you know now we are not sure whether did they write the paper or did a tool write the paper So I think assessment is another topic or a category that's really important that online instructors have to think through how are they designing their assessments in this current day and age. So I would say both. To what extent do you see faculty taking advantage of synchronous conversations in their online courses? 
I cannot speak for everybody. I think it varies university to university. You know, in some yeah. universities, courses are identified as asynchronous in nature, right? I think that's a selling point for some programs. And in that case, there is no room for synchronicity, right? I think there is a reason why courses are identified as asynchronous, because I think they want to give the 100% flexibility to the learner to do this at their own pace and own time and not have to log in, right? It's mm -hmm. like anywhere, anytime, right? They don't have to log in at a particular right. time. But I'm a believer that synchronous online learning is important because I think when they're entirely asynchronous, I think they don't get the same level of community building as they can in an synchronous online meeting. That's why, you know, along with my team who worked on the paper, we coined the term bichronous because there's so much of emphasis on blended learning, which is the blending of face-to-face -face and online. But then there's not a whole lot of research on blending asynchronous and synchronous. A lot of studies consider these as independent modalities and want to compare them rather than put them together. So we said it's so important to blend them because both modalities has benefits. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, there is a reason why we want to do asynchronous, but then there is also a reason why we want to do synchronous. So I think it is very important and I would encourage faculty to do it unless, you know, their university and their college, their programs doesn't have room for it. The way I do it is I schedule two sessions. I don't have them like, you know, log in synchronously every week. But I schedule only two sessions, one at the mid-semester, one at the end of semester. And mine are both optional sessions. It's not required. But I encourage them and I record it for those who are not able to attend. So it's still optional. It's still Bicronus, you know, and we've written a couple of pieces on Bicronus since our initial Educause article. And we came up with different models for bikeness. So, you know, so we interviewed 12 award-winning online instructors. And while some of them talked about having required synchronous sessions, some of them did talk about optional synchronous sessions. So I think both models work. And there was a couple of other instructors too who talked about doing a synchronous sessions multiple times, offering the same session multiple times so that students can at least log in into one or the other. I think, you know, that's like really going above and beyond. Instructors are willing to give up the time so that students can join a synchronous session. And there was one model that's even more interesting. So if you not able to make it to a synchronous session, you have to still watch it and then complete an assignment, especially with undergrads. You know, I think a requirement like that is helpful. Then you know for sure that they have watched the synchronous mm -hmm. session. I think that interaction, the immediacy, you know, the instructor being able to give feedback, I think all those are advantages and it's nice to have synchronous meetings. We have historically been described as having asynchronous programs at our university, but have in the last year or two gone to synchronous conversations. And from my opinion, as a faculty member, that's a much deeper, richer experience when you can get students to come online and have face-to-face -face conversations, build relationships, get to know each other, have some fun. That's been a game changer for us. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I would say you don't want to also use the synchronous time to lecture because that is something you can record and share it, right? Have them watch it. But then when they come in, like you said, you know, it's about having a conversation about building relationships, having like the deep discussions that you may or may not be able to do in an asynchronous platform, that back and forth engaging conversations. And I think that is what is very important. And another challenge that I've also heard, you know, when universities advertise their courses, it just says online. Sometimes students sign, maybe it's changing now, maybe, you know, registration systems are getting updated. Sometimes students sign up thinking it's asynchronous course, and then they realize, Life, there are synchronous meetings or it's the other way around students sign up thinking oh I will have an opportunity to meet others and maybe it's not or if it is bichronous if it's both you know it doesn't quite capture it so I think it's also important for universities to be clear up front so when students register they know exactly how many synchronous meetings it has if it is bichronous or if it is truly asynchronous I think that's also important to be shared. And kind of going back to your conversation about writing, think about the difference between you and I meeting and me saying to you, Florence, I'd like to talk to you about this paper you wrote. And you can see my face, you can hear my voice, as opposed to me putting those comments in writing in a way that is encouraging to you, but also points out some of the things that need to be improved. That's a very difficult task to accomplish. Yep, I totally agree. I think when you just use all those track changes and mark it up and send it back to them, it's not the same as listening to you, right? Uh, Absolutely. Like the conversation my advice has had with me the small couch we were in their office you know this was like almost 20 years ago but it's different it's more personal and I agree I think having those one-on-one meetings or at least video-based feedback right like you take the time to record and you send it to them I think it's more personal and they hear it directly from you rather than just from the text and it also gives you the opportunity as the student in that role to say, you know, I don't quite understand what you're talking about here. Could you please explain that further? Mm-hmm. Or, Here's why I did that. Does that make sense to you? Those kind of comments can't occur in a sterile writing format. That's what I was going to comment on with this category of interaction and communication, but also in the assessment and evaluation category of design was in some of the classes recently, there's a lot of assignments. So I don't do audio or video feedback or one-on-one feedback for every single item that students submit. And sometimes my comments are more personal, but attached to the feedback. Like, let's say it's a reflection paper. They're going to get the credit, but I want to comment on what they shared, how they opened up and were vulnerable. And so I might post my comments in the LMS. And what will happen sometimes is students will then email me and say, I wasn't really sure where to respond to you because I will ask open-ended questions in feedback because I always approach it like a dialogue, not so much as a, here's your feedback, goodbye, but as an ongoing conversation. So a lot of times students will express, they're not really sure, they wanted to comment or respond to my questions, but they don't really know where to do it. (laughs) So they'll just email separately. And I think that's okay for right now, but I have been wishing lately that in the LMS, that the construct of feedback would be looked at a bit differently so that it was structured like a dialogue. So you're not just Mm. typing in the rubric and then going on to the next assignment, but where does the conversation keep going other than a discussion forum? I'm not sure the answer to that, but 
it's something I would, I wish was different about that online experience. And the flip side of that would be, for example, Florence, you write an article, you submit it to a journal and you get back an article with all these track changes <laughs> and you're now the consumer of those comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe, you know, LMS <laughs> will evolve and have functionality in there for different types of feedback and exchanges. I think there is a need for that. And I've seen some instructors also give students the opportunity to improve. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important part, right? Giving them an opportunity to resubmit, mm -hmm. uh, take the feedback, make it better. At least those who want to, right? You can't force all of them, but those who want to. I think that's the most important part of learning. So... One of the biggest surprises to me has been we have a little button in our LMS around the assignments. And if you click on that button, it automatically creates an email to be sent to people who didn't submit the assignment. So I go in and, and kind of rework the language a little bit to make it a little more friendly. I'm always surprised to get back a response from students. Thank you for reminding me that I didn't submit this assignment. So it's almost like just acknowledging that they're out there yeah. is a gift that we're giving to our students. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely helpful. So we've talked a little bit about the advice that you've been given, some hard advice about writing. But let's say you were given an opportunity, maybe you're at a conference and there's a room packed full of online faculty what is the most important word of advice that you would want to share with online faculty today? Uh, a few things. I think uh, <laughs> post-COVID, everybody is now exposed to some kind of online mm -hmm. teaching yep. uh, or at least, you know, remote teaching where they didn't have a whole lot of time to get a quality online course ready, maybe. Online teaching is different from face-to-face -face teaching. It requires a different set of strategies. Take the time to design the course. I think in a face-to-face -face setting, you know, you can design by the week, you can go in, walk in, and then, you know, you can adjust the instruction on the go, right, by observing your learners. Whereas in an online course, I think a lot of thinking need to happen ahead of time. And the course has to be well designed even before the first implementation. You can't really be changing things a whole lot during the course because students will be then totally confused. Then you wait, you collect feedback, but then, you know, make changes at the end. So it's different. That's what I want to say. So it requires a different set of instructional strategies. You can't just take what you do in a face-to-face -face and like just record you teaching face-to-face -face and put it online and call it as online and do the same set of assignments. That will not work. You need to have a different set of engagement strategies too. In addition to being a subject matter expert, which a lot of faculty are, right? It's just your primary role. There's a lot of roles that a faculty assume in the online space. And I've written on this on online instructor roles and competence so you require a lot of different competencies. So you're a course designer and developer, you're a course facilitator, you're a course manager, you're an advisor and mentor, you're an assessor and evaluator, you're a technology expert, and you're a lifelong <laughs> learner. That's a lot to ask of faculty in the online space. I would say, look at those competencies. What is it required to be a course manager? Because you have to be proficient, you know, in using the LMS 
right? Maintaining the online gradebook, which you may or may not if you were teaching a face-to-face -face course. Let's hope everybody is using it these days. But so I think learning like how to, you know, assume all those roles and meet all those competencies. I have a long list of competencies. This article came out in the online learning journal. It's an open access article. I can send you all the articles that I'm referring to at the end and you can share it if you want. So that's something I would recommend. Think about teaching more broader than just being a subject matter experts. Another advice I would say if you're new to online teaching, I would say take the time to attend other online courses. It could be workshops. There are some really well-designed courses out there right? doesn't have to be a credit-based course, but seeing some example courses, you could ask to observe courses of your peer faculty. So that's another way to see some good courses and then model yours or attend professional development for online teaching. That helps. I think that's the best way to learn uh, some good design strategies, design and facilitation, and then implement it in, in your own courses. So those are some basic advice, you know, when, when you get started, how, how to do it. I've done some workshops on best practices for online teaching. I think I talk about 10 different things, and that's a lot <laughs> to share, but th these are a few things I'll leave it. Well, if I were a listener to this podcast, I would be thinking right now, I'm going to go out and read everything that Florence <laughs> Martin has written. Yeah, right. She has some tremendous advice to give both in the design and the delivery of online courses. So it's been a thrill to have you here today. Thank you. We have to give her the digital to learn wand though. Okay, let's We can't do that. leave without it. She earned it. <laughs> All right, if given the digital to learn wand, what would you do with it in the world of online education? I will work towards eliminating the myth that online courses are of lesser quality when mm. compared to on-campus courses. Mm. I think, you know, it's still hard work, but with your wand, maybe we can <laughs> take that magic wand, we can make it happen. You know, online courses can be of even higher quality than on-campus courses because it's so transparent, right? You can see everything that happens in it. We cannot see that in an on-campus course. Absolutely Even right. If you're, if you're observing or observing, you can see one class at the most, right? So in an online course, I think start to finish, you see it a lot of times. I mean, it has to be well-designed, of course. You cannot say for all online courses. Having like a clear instructional alignment, I think students can see the course map and get a really clear picture of start to finish. So that would be my biggest thing, eliminating the myth, because online courses can be of better quality. It has several advantages too, right? Students can take courses from anywhere. There's opportunity for multimodal learning, different, you know, multimedia can be integrated. Some campuses even give reduced tuition. Uh, students who work full-time can still take courses. So they may or may not have the opportunity otherwise. If they had to only come to campus they are able to review the content any number of times, right? Because they have access to the recording. They are able to pace themselves. So they are able to, like, you know, maybe some students can only work on the course at 10 p.m. in the night, 
So that's the only time availability they have. So what works for them, they can set that time aside and participate in the in the course. So I think it has so many benefits. I mean, of course, there are challenges, but then I think well-designed online courses, I think the challenges are definitely minimal when compared to the benefits. And I think we have to see that. And hopefully, you know, we can eliminate the myth that online courses are of lesser quality. So in a year or two from now, when there's this groundswell of people saying online courses are just as good as face-to-face courses, we can look back to this very moment <laughs> when Florence waved her magic wand and made that happen. So yes. thank you for yes. that. Yes. And I also did a second order meta analysis. This is not a first order meta, so it's a meta of meta. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of meta. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of first-order meta comparing face-to-face to online. So a second order, and we found no significant difference between face-to-face and online. So, you know, there is hope. Very good. <laughs> well, thank you. For all of our listeners, we have the Digital to Learn website. We want to be transparent. We've been leaning into our LinkedIn a little bit more this summer, trying to beef that up and to provide a lot of the show resources there on LinkedIn. So you can look us up, Digital to Learn with a numerical two. Follow us on LinkedIn and go there for uh, links to the recording, access to show notes, as well as the different articles that were referenced today. But thank you to our listeners for joining us week after week. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Florence. And we'll be back next week with new episode of Digital to Learn. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.